0: The first chapter of Second Peter is all about the encouragement that we have in, in uh, knowing and following Christ. It's a great uh, text, a great reminder to us of uh, the work uh, that uh, Jesus uh, has done and uh, is doing for us. And um, are we doing children's worship? There's, is there, there's nobody over there, so it would be a grave mistake to send kids outside, right? <laughs> There's nobody over there, so that's why I didn't say anything about it. All the parents are starting to look panicked. (laughs) We are doing it? Hey, kids, you can go to children's worship. I think. Not yet? Not the second second graders, but yeah, first graders, right? Yeah, there's Miss King right there. There we go. That's what everybody was waiting for. Um, so we've come to the part in Second Peter uh, uh, chapter two, which comes to, is a, a text that um, if you were uh, if you were the kind of uh, church that uh, skipped around in the Bible to uh, talk about different themes or those kinds of things rather than just preaching through what the the Scriptures present to you, this is one of those texts that you would skip, and you would skip it um partly because uh the, the the what this text is about is, is some strong medicine but also uh the way in which it is written and the things that it cites to help us uh, understand that is fairly obscure and so um, and it is a warning to us about the nature of false teaching and so, let me just say right off the bat that that's a hard message for people in our culture because um, historically in, in the world there's been debate, uh, uh, wars even fought over uh, what is true. But there was consensus that there's something that is true. Now we may not agree about what is true, but there's something that's true. And it's a matter of us uncovering what that is. But the the fact is, uh, today, we live in a different kind of uh, situation because the fact is, for, for m- many people in the church and in the culture, um, what we have is an issue of uh, not just that there's truth out there, but there is n- nothing that's true. Um, and if nothing is true, then nothing is false. And so the, the, one of the things that's hard for us to, to come to grips with, the, one of the things that, that kind of swims against the current of our culture is um, that ideas have consequences. What you believe matters. Uh, because what you believe uh, and what you believe to be true actually shapes how you behave. And so what what Peter's getting at here in this text is uh the false teaching that has crept into the church and now is affecting uh the way in which people uh, uh, are living. And so let me read to you 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 to 10. The text is in the bulletin also up on the screens behind me. This is the word of God and we we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. But false prophets also rose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. Now, That phrase, their destruction is not asleep, is is quite a phrase, isn't it? Quite quite a, a kind of a startling thing to read about someone. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under, judge, under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Um, let's pray. Let's, let's pray for a second. Lord, thanks today for your word. Thanks for what it teaches us. Thanks for its warning. Thanks for its grace and its mercy to us. Help us to hear you. Help us to see you, help us to know you uh, today uh, as uh, we uh, listen uh, to your word. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, I don't know if you know what this is or not, but there's a thing called the Internet Movie Database, IMDB. Ever heard of it? Those of you of a certain age probably have, and those of you of a certain age probably haven't. Um, my kids talk about it all the time. It's where they get their information about movies. Um, there's a um, movie. We have about ten movies, actually, maybe twelve, in our family that we watch with regularity, that we just love. And, and uh, when different people in our families are in different situations, we quote those movies. Stay alive, no matter what occurs, I will find you. That's from Last of the Mohicans, which... Don't watch that movie because it has nothing to do with the book, although it's a great movie. Great story, has nothing to do with the book, great scenery, uh, great hunting scenes, great battle scenes. We, we like that movie a lot. Marty's dad was a, um, a security guard on the set when they filmed it. So another reason why we watch it. Great music, too. No na, 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 yeah, anyway, <laughs> we like that one. Another movie that we watch a lot at our house is Waking Ned Divine. We love Waking Ned Divine. It is classic, funny. If you've never seen it, you should watch it. Really hilarious, really funny. Um, uh, makes you think about your funeral uh, in a good way, in a funny way. And uh, really worth seeing. Well, one of the ones that we watch a lot is The Shawshank Redemption. We really like that. And the reason why we like it is because there are so many illusions in that movie to the gospel. And one of the ones that is probably most familiar to you is this uh, quote that is embroidered on the warden, who is a scumbag slime dog, uh terrible person, in his office over his uh, safe uh, where he's keeping his ill-gotten gain, is this quotation embroidered that his that His judgment cometh and that right soon. I bet you thought that was in the Bible. Now, because it certainly sounds like the Bible, after all, it's got cometh um, in it, and only only stuff in the Bible, right, says stuff like that, right. So, so it's got to be in the Bible, right? Well, actually, that that right there is not in the Bible. Get your concordance out, look it up. It's in Ecclesiasticus, which is in the Apocrypha, okay? Um, that, that those statements, his judgment cometh, and that right soon, actually uh, is true. And it is ironic that is, that is the last thing that the warden sees before he dies, as his judgment comes very soon. So as we we look at this text, and as as we look at this today, one of the things that um, we have to see about this is, and one of the things that Peter wants us to grapple with, is the warning that comes to us in the reality that there's a judgment. And then in particular, there is a judgment uh, uh, upon those who falsely teach and falsely lead others astray, and do that on purpose. And so one of the things that you have to see here is in the first chapter in Second Peter is all about ensuring our place in the work and heart of Christ. He's given us promises and he's fulfilling those in Christ to bring us safely home and that he, that he wants the little church that he's writing to there to take, to take courage and to see that and to trust in Christ even more than they are because Jesus is for them. He has promised them great things and he is at work in them. Chapter 2 now is a warning about the problems that, that might come and that will come as a result of false teachers rising up in the church. Next, next slide. So this chapter is all about warnings. It's all about warnings, and it, can, it contains almost no commands. In these first ten verses that we've read, there's almost nothing in there telling us what to do, but it is very descriptive, right? The judgment's not sleeping, right? Their destruction's not sleeping, that it's coming. That it. Uh, the, but it describes very plainly and very clearly the reality that God is aware, that he sees, that he hears, that he understands what is happening in the lives of his people, and he sees and he hears particularly those who are false teachers, right? So the main point of this chapter is a warning that destruction awaits the false teachers uh, and, um, uh, and, and their followers. Now, a couple of things uh, to, 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 to note about this. One of the things that is um, important for us to see about that is, is that is w- that what is happening here in this text and what, what he is warning us about is the reality uh, that what, what comes our way, what, what happens uh, when people are taught and when people believe things that aren't true, it affects their behavior. What you believe drives how you behave. What you believe shapes how you live. It just, it just, that's just the way it works. It's just, it just happens that way. It's, it's unavoidable. Um, I'm really curious about what you guys believe this morning. Um, because I'm watching your behavior and uh it makes me laugh. So let me just say parents you have you have a lot to uh you're going to have a great lunchtime discussion. I can tell. You guys are uh you guys are doing a good job. It would be hard for me to sit in the front row and have my parents making faces at me from across the room and then the pastor actually looking at me and saying what are you doing? Anyway, um, that's good. So, so the main point of the chapter is a warning that destruction waits uh, the false teachers and their followers. So in the first three verses of this text, uh, what Peter says is that just in, old, in the Old Testament, there were false prophets who rose, who, who prophesied, who said, this is what God says, and, and, and they misled people. They have they have arisen. And this is not just a problem of false teaching, but a false teaching leading to, as he says here, indulging in the lust of defiling passion and despising authority. Next slide, please, Megan. So, And then in verses 4 through 10, he gives us three examples, the wicked angels, uh, Noah and his family, Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, of condemnation, not being idle, or destruction, not sleeping. And so what you have to see about this is, is, is the a, a couple of things that are important. Because when we read that their destruction is not sleeping, when we read that their that their destruction is coming quickly, what we might tend to think is, well, it doesn't seem like that's true. Because if you're like me, you would like to live in a day and an age where somebody says something that's untrue, that's misleading to people, that if God would just zap them right there on the spot. Just, boom, they're gone, right? Right? Uh, And in fact, you probably think that you would like to see that happen, right? That every time somebody says something that's not true, that's misleading, that God would just zap them. I mean, church attendance would skyrocket if you thought there was a possibility that when somebody said something untrue, that they would get zapped, right? That would be, that would be dramatic. That would be, that would be kind of profound, right? And so, and we actually kind of think and we live in a day and age where we're like, why doesn't God judge? What's he waiting on? What I would love to be able to do is to have a camera in some of your houses, maybe a camera on your TV, so that when you're watching the news or you're seeing somebody on there who's saying something, I could see your cry to God for judgment upon that person who's there, right? Get them, God! Why aren't you zapping them? Let's get with the program. Because we read this text and it says that it's coming quickly, that it's already come, that their destruction is not... Is not sleeping. And so what it seems to us is, is that God is asleep and that he's allowing things to go and he allows people to say things and he allows things to do things. But what Peter says is, no, in the economy of God, unless someone repents, Unless someone changes, the fact of the matter is that the judgment res- resides upon them that they are already under condemnation. And that the only way to escape that condemnation is to hide yourself by faith in the one who is condemned and judged for you. Now, probably for many of us, one of the challenges to our faith and one of the things that strikes us is, is that it doesn't seem like God is very interested in in this issue of judgment. And so it would seem a lot cleaner, a lot neater if he would just judge the second somebody does something that he doesn't approve of. The my bedroom door flew open at one morning. One of my kids came busting in distraught, in tears. And at you know at one thirty in the morning I'm trying to sort out what's going on and he says uh, we made a commitment that we wouldn't do certain things we made a covenant as a team that while other people might do this during the season we're not going to do it and they're doing it tonight they were doing it and nothing happened to them their lives are just fine Now, quickly, come up to, with a response for that at 1.30 in the morning when you're awakened. Well, that's the heart, all of our heart cry sometime some time or another, right? The Bible speaks to the fact where we look about us and we see uh, those who seem to prosper and do well and mislead that they are doing well even as they are doing poorly even as they are sinning, and even as they are leading others to sin. What must we say? What must we do? Well, what we have to say in that situation is, you know what? God sees that, and he is the ultimate judge, and we entrust to him the, our lives and the lives of our friends. And we pray, and we pray, knowing that, frankly, we are no better than they are, and that without the work of Christ on our behalf, we are under judgment as well. And so we need the righteousness, the blood, the work of Jesus Christ to cover us all. Please, God, give us all the gift of repentance before it's too late. Because you see, that's where we have to go with this, is what we have to see that when we are tempted to judge and, when, and we, when we are right to judge, our judgment should always come in the context of, Lord Jesus, you see this, you died for this, you understand how terrible this is, and I pray that in the midst of this, that you would deliver from judgment by taking upon yourself the judgment that is due this sin. Because if repentance does not come, judgment will. And so as we see that and as we hear that, that's one of the things that's very sobering and very alarming to us, right? One day Jesus was teaching and people came to him and said, hey, this, that, that, uh, um, Herod mixed the blood of some of these people with their sacrifices and, and this, this tower fell and killed these people and, and all of these things. And, and they're saying, are these people worse than us? Was that God's judgment? And Jesus says, you too, likewise will perish Unless you repent. And so when we see this and we understand this, what he is saying to us is, listen, the the salvation that you experience, we should pray for that and we should pray for the repentance to come upon those who are false teachers, who are misleading, and that, that we should recognize that God sees them, that he understands what's true of them, and that he holds their circumstances in his hands as well. And so we have to, when we hear that, that it seems like God is delaying in his judgment, he is delaying in his judgment so that people repent, right? That, that his delay, that his patience in that uh, should not be viewed as approval, but should be viewed as an opportunity for us to seek and to pray for the repentance of the people uh, that, are, that are, are teaching false things. So what is the false teaching? And what is the false lifestyle that the false teaching brings about? Well, apparently, it's denying the master who bought them, which leads to, as he says, a despising of authority. Because after all, what he says here is, is that they are ignoring the master who bought us. right? So, so there's a sense in which that what Jesus did on the cross by buying us, by, by redeeming us, as we say in the uh, uh, Heidelberg Catechism, that we're not our own, but we belong body and soul to our faithful Savior Jesus Christ. It is recognizing that true freedom is found in belonging to Jesus Christ. That true freedom is found not in living in the way in which we want. True freedom is not found in autonomy. True freedom is not found in me being only answerable to myself. True freedom is not saying that, that I'm the determiner of my faith. I'm going to figure out how I live today. I'm the one that's going to do that. Rather, true freedom is found, true joy, all of those things is found living under and through the gracious lordship of Jesus Christ, of recognizing that he is our master and that we belong to him and that belonging to him is actually the place of greatest freedom and security for any one of us, right? And so apparently what these people are saying is, Jesus died for you, so it doesn't matter what he says. Jesus died for you, so it doesn't matter that you're under any kind of accountability. What, because the, the gospel is so good and so free, it doesn't matter. You can go and live and do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. There is no accountability. And what, what, what Peter's saying is, they're acting as if they have no master. They're acting as if the master who died for them, who bought them, has no claim upon their lives. Next slide. So uh, John Piper says this. They're denying the master who bought them. Now, what does this mean? As with most heresies, Jesus Christ is in some way being diminished, right? Some aspect of his personhood or his work is being denied. But Peter never tells us what aspect. In fact you get the impression from chapter 2 that the error of the false teachers was an error in morality and not doctrine. But the two are never really separate. How you live and how you esteem Christ always rise and fall together. That's an important thing to think about. It is possible to live in such a disobedient way that Christ is scorned and belittled by our very behavior. And that seems to be... Uh, what, what what Peter is getting at uh, right here. Now, one of the things that I have observed about human beings in 30 years of doing what I do is this. Everybody, all of you, everybody, universal, every human being, get ready. <laughs> every one of you is a fundamentalist. All of you are. Every human being's ever lived is a fundamentalist about something. They are. Even if it's being a fundamentalist about not being a fundamentalist. Everybody's a fundamentalist about something. Everybody says, you know, this is the most important thing, and the people that don't recognize that this is the most important thing somehow or other are less than they should be, right? And every one of us, not only being a fundamentalist, but are also also has a a primary and kind of infallible source of information and facts whereby we derived our fundamentalism, right? Um, Maybe it's the Wall Street Journal editorial page. Maybe it's the New York Times editorial page. Maybe it's the Gospel. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, you've become a Pharisee about grace. Maybe you judge those people Whose consciences are bound a little bit, right? So, so whatever, which, all of us are like that, right? So, so the fact is, what we believe and what we give ourselves to and what gets our passions rolling about what we believe really matters. Because it shapes the way we live, and not only does it shape the way we live, the very honor of Christ is at stake in this. I had, a, I had a, 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 a seminary professor who was a pastor in a small town, uh, think like Mayberry, okay? And there's this couple in this church who regularly the police are having to come to their house and break up a fight. A couple in their church. And so in a small town, everybody knows this. Just like Andy and Barney and Mayberry, right? They all know it. They all know what's going on, they all know what's happening, and they all know that they go to the First Presbyterian Church. They all go to the First Presbyterian Church. And so people for years have been pouring it out for them, read this book about marriage, read this book about conflict resolution, do this study on marriage, and none of it worked. None of it worked. So finally the pastor said, you know what, we're throwing you out of the church. Well, why are you throwing us out of the church? We're sinners. The church is full of sinners. They're like, yeah, I know that. But you know what, we've got to the place now where your behavior is, is, is reflecting poorly upon Jesus in the community. <laughs> they repented. So it seems that this disobedience and this lack of this saying, I believe in Jesus, and yet I act as if he has no authority in my life, uh, is what's at work here and what Peter is warning the church about. Next slide. So in verses 4 through 10, then, he gives us three examples, three primary examples to help us come to grips with two things. One is that God will judge in his timing and, and, and in an infallible way, and in the middle of that judgment, God also knows how to deliver his own. So the first one, um, uh, it, just as he's punished people in the past and delivered people in the past, he will do the same now in the future. So the first one is, he mentions the angels, which is a reference from Genesis chapter 6, uh, pre-flood, where these uh, heavenly beings are mixing with the wives of of men, and so what God does about that? They're in their disobedience, even though they're angels. He takes them, and the uh, the tradition is that he locks them away until um, uh, the place of uh, and time of judgment. Right now, this would have been a familiar story to his audience. This was one that they would have been familiar with, and they would have immediately understood that there was a a, a judgment and a consequence. To what these angels did secondly he brings up Noah God judged the world with water even as Noah and as later tradition asserted preached righteousness and was troubled by what he saw so what we read here is that in if you read in the the, the text of Genesis 9 10 and 11 what you read there is Noah gets the word from God that God is the The wickedness in the world is so great that God is going to have to destroy the world and start all over and that he tells Noah to build an ark. And the tradition is that Noah looks about him and sees all the unrighteousness and the ungodliness around him and he preaches to that and he warns people about that and there's a sense in which he is troubled and it is a trial for him to live in the midst of of all this unrighteousness. And then thirdly, he mentions Lot. Lot is also troubled by what he saw and, and, and that he lives with in Sodom and Gomorrah, and that God, in that case, just as He delivered Noah in water, He delivers Lot uh, from the fire that comes of judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. So, in all three cases, though it seems like God is not aware and is not doing anything, judgment eventually falls. It eventually falls. It eventually comes. And in the latter two cases, God is able and does deliver his own, right? Now, one of the things that you'd have to see about this is, is that you may think, well, I need to, I need to do better or somehow rather, I need to earn this deliverance. But in both these cases, the deliverance is really all about grace because neither Noah nor Lot gets their righteousness on their own. What is the first thing Noah wants to do when he gets off the ark? Plants a vineyard and he makes some wine, he wants a drink. He wants more than a drink. He wants a lot of drink. And I'm not even going to talk about what Lot did. You can look it up. It's horrible. <laughs> Terrible. Right? And so their salvation, uh, the fact that they get delivered, uh, is not because they're better than the other people or that their theology is better or that they haven't simply fallen into the trap of uh, uh, that the other people have fallen into. It's because God's been gracious to them and has delivered them. And, and whatever faith they have and whatever trust they have in the work of God for them is tiny literally tiny, but God is gracious and is saying here, in the midst of terrible tragedy and judgment, he is able to deliver his own. Next slide, please, Megan. So uh, one of the things, there are three things that I want you to take away from this this morning to, to, help you, to help you think about this. The first one is this. The people of God are never immune from false teaching. Never. There will never be a time in your life as a believer where the threat uh, against the gospel, the threat against the full glory and authority and person of Jesus Christ might lead you astray. Now I know that sounds terrifying and that sounds uh, that's, that sounds hard, but the fact of the matter is we need to be aware of that and And you know, if people could believe lies in a tiny little church with just a handful of false teachers. How much more so can you believe lies with the publishing industry, the internet, the radio, the TV, all the, all the, the media that's available out there to mislead people now? I mean, it, never has there been more opportunities for more people who don't know what they're talking about to talk to a wide audience, (laughs) right? I mean, honestly, you know, it is, it is stunning to me. I, wow. Anyway, um, I need to get off my soapbox on that. But the, but the fact is, we should pray that God would give us the ability to discern. We should pray for the Holy Spirit to, to help us to know and to remember what's true. Because the, the, the fact of the matter is, these things matter. And one of the things that you have to see and you have to understand about this is, you may sit here this morning and you think, I know the truth. I believe the reformed faith. I believe the gospel. I know it. It's part of me. I can't imagine myself in any other way other than that when the fact of the matter is, as we sing regularly around here, we are prone to wonder. We sang that hymn in our wedding. We didn't sing it. The whole congregation sang it. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been a very happy occasion. But um, the whole congregation sang it. And we sang that song because we love the, we love it, but because it testifies to the truth that we're prone to wonder, prone to wonder, prone to wonder. In fact, the man who wrote that hymn wandered away from the faith. Robert Robinson. Uh, so that when he died, it's unclear whether he maintained a grip on it or not. We sang it in our wedding. This hymn matters a lot in our family. Um, someone we love a whole lot loves this hymn so much that they have, uh, bind my wandering heart to thee, tattooed on their body. Now, kids, tattoos, Bad. Always bad, never good. But if you get a tattoo, bind my wandering heart to thee right here on your heart, your pastor will say, "That's bad. But <laughs> would that we would all pray that for ourselves and for the ones we love, right? Bind our wandering hearts to thee. Because, Lord, we we could wander. And we do wander. And we have the promise of God that Jesus pursues the wanderer. He goes after the sheep that's wandering. Praise God. Right? Secondly, while delayed, judgment is coming. And so we should have within ourselves uh, the fact uh, that we should never mistake patience with approval. And we should never mistake patience with slumber. We should never mistake the fact that there is a delay in the clear and decisive judgment of God in anything other than the fact that it is grace and mercy. And it is an opportunity for us to proclaim the gospel. It is an opportunity for us to believe the gospel. And it is an opportunity to challenge ourselves and others to hide themselves in the rock that was broken for us. Right? And so, as vindictive as our enemies may be, as hateful as they may be, as terrible as they may be in dishonoring the name of Christ... We should see their fate and we should see what, what, what judgment means as we look at the horror of the wrath of God poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross and it should drive us with a sense of urgency to see and to know and to cry out to God for deliverance of those who believe a lie and who teach a lie. And then thirdly... Um, When it says the Lord knows how to deliver the godly, it doesn't mean he only delivers the perfect. Like I said, Lot was far from perfect. And if you put your trust in Jesus Christ and press on to love what he loves, then as Peter said in the first chapter, you'll never fall. And there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, ultimately, that is... The the, the thing that matters here, because literally, and this is, you know, um, um, this is kind of intense and kind of scary for us to think about. But the gospel is not just a good way to live. And it's not just a way to feel better about yourself. And it's not just a way to raise good kids or to date people who are nice or to do those things. It is a matter of eternal life and death. And so, what we see here is, is that trusting and believing that Jesus Christ substituted himself for me, rose again, and is now my Lord, that those things matter. And they matter not just for what I'm going to do and what I'm going to say today, but they matter for my destiny. They matter for where I'm headed. They matter for, for what my life is going to be about, uh, not just now, but eternally. And so as we look at this and as we, as, we, as we think about this, one of the things that we rest in is the fact that all of us at some time or another have believed things that are lies. All of us at some time or another have believed things that were false and what we need here is for the, the righteous one, the gracious one, the merciful one, and the righteous judge to correct us and to lead us into all truth So that, so that uh, we wouldn't be swept away by these things that would sweep us away and mislead us. And so we need to pray that God would protect the church, protect us, and protect the ones we love from false teaching. Because it's a real threat. It really matters. And uh, it matters... Not just for now, but for eternity. Let me pray. Lord, we need a sense of this today. Thanks so much uh, that um, you uh, warned uh, your church about teaching uh, uh, lies. You warned your church not to follow after and to wander after uh, that which um, would uh, seem like a gospel, but is no gospel at all. Lord, I pray for us today that you would help us uh, to know and to believe the truth. I pray that you would help us uh, as we rightly uh, ascertain and judge what is true and and what is false, that you would give us grace and humility and patience uh, with uh, those who right now, it seems, reside under judgment. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage and the insight to speak clearly the truth to believe the truth, to trust it, and to know um, that we can entrust ourselves and we can entrust those who don't believe, those who might mislead, into your righteous and gracious and mighty hands. Help us to do that today and help us to know, Lord, that above all, you're able to save, uh, even in the most distressful and difficult situations. So we ask this today in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As the guys come up to take up the offering, let me remind you to drop your tear off in the plate. Uh, please don't feel pressure to give. Only give today if it's a part of your worship in response to God's goodness and grace.